morning. There it is. Uh, yesterday we had that men's thing, and I was reminded again, I'd like to this morning just give a shout out to our tech team because they are always here. They come in early, they set up, they get things ready for us. So give it up for our, those that are doing that for us. So we're in Mark chapter 4. If you would stand, we're gonna, I'm going to read the first nine verses of, we'll be covering 20, but I'm going to read the first nine. And then I want to do, we haven't done this in a while, a responsive reading that definitely ties in with this message this morning on hearing the word of God. So in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, and again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him. So they got into a boat. And if you remember, Jesus said, get that ready in case we need it. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Psalm 19, the, the, from verse 7 through 14, I'll read the odd, and if you would together read the second eight and the even verses as we go along here. The law, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Lord, that's our prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're thankful for the word as you're giving these, this parable this morning and next week also, that you would have us to hear what you're saying, to take it in, keep it, and thereby grow and be fruitful. And Lord, we would, our prayer, we want to have fruitful lives. We don't want to be in, stay in some arrested state of development. We certainly don't want the, the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choking out the word. So I ask, Lord, this morning, the things that I prepared, break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry, give us ears to hear, hear under, hear submitted, hear surrendered, whatever you want to say to us, Lord, I pray we have a heart ready and wanting and desiring after and and just pushing on and pressing on to do the things that you've called us to in your word. So by the Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
you can be seated. Is this thing echoing? Do I have to move or something? Or Good? Okay. So Jesus explained the kingdom of God in our particular chapter in verse 11, 26, and 30. It's talking about the kingdom of God. Not by giving lectures on theology, but by painting pictures that captured the attention of the people who were listening that they might think and use their minds and understand the things of the kingdom. A parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interest. But as we study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. As, so if we continue to look, that mirror becomes a window through which we see God and we see his truth. If we continue to look in the mirror, that's what happens. Continue to, to seek after understanding. So how we respond to the truth determines what the future lays, in, the, tr the future truth that God has for us that determines that. Now, why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, the disciples asked him that very question in verse 10. Look at your Mark 10, 410. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery, there it is, of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing, they may, not, they may see and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So a careful study of this reply gives us two reasons why he used parables. Number one, to conceal truth, which sounds a little weird. We'll look at that. But also to reveal truth. The hearers were not judging the parables. The parables are judging the hearers. So the careless hearer the careless listener, thinking maybe he already knows everything, would hear the story that he would not understand it. And we'll see that. And the result in his life would be judgment. The sincere hearer, with a desire to know God's truth, are you desiring to know God's truth? I believe that you are. That's a sincere hearer who desires that, longs after that, would ponder the parable confess his ignorance, submit to the Lord, and then begin to understand the spiritual lesson that Jesus was teaching and its application to his own life. Let me say that again. The sincere hearer with a desire to know God's truth would ponder the parable, confess his ignorance, submit to the Lord, and then begin to understand the spiritual lesson that Jesus was teaching and its application in his own life. It's very personal. The non-repentant sinner wants nothing to do with the truth. The non-repentant sinner. In Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and un un all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, there it is, who suppress the truth, who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and God, it's so that they're without excuse. Psalm 19, we read the, the seven, 7 through 14. If you read 1 through 6, you understand creation shouts of the glory of God, shouts that God exists. And so those who even see creation don't want to know the truth, that there is a God. In 1 Peter, he says, for in this they are willingly ignorant. In, in Romans, he says they're without excuse. So penetrating and so personal were Jesus' parables that after they heard several of them, the religious leaders who Jesus is confronting were plotting how they might destroy him. So there are two different main views on these parables, this particular one. They picture the fruit or lack of, of spiritual birth, being saved. Secondly, the other view is they picture the fruit or lack thereof of spiritual growth, having been saved. Now, I believe that these are both instructive, both these instructions are there for us to learn from. Both the whole idea of spiritual birth being saved and spiritual growth having been saved. Stories have a way of drawing people in, and Jesus is the master storyteller. He told stories to grab our attention, to get us thinking, in hopes that we might acknowledge the truth and surrender our whole heart, soul, and mind to it. We know the truth. And so Jesus in chapter 4, verse 11, he said, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So it's the testing of their own desires. The mystery in the Bible is God revealing what was previously unknown. So these mysteries, great mysteries concerning the kingdom. So you have the church, this mystery of the church, concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. You have the mystery of the gospel, concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. You have the mystery of the rapture, and that's still mysterious. <laughs> Behold, I tell you a mystery, 1 Corinthians, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. There's this rapture that will be taking place. So God will reveal truth to any and all who are sincere in hearing it, sincere in seeking that. Job said this, there are laws that exist. There are laws of nature and there are laws of life. Job said, even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. These laws. Proverbs, he who sows iniquities will reap sorrow and the rod of his anger will fail. In Hosea chapter 8, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it, sh it, shall, it should, shall never produce meal, if it should produce, and then he goes on to that. So he's talking the same language as this parable we're looking at this morning. In Galatians, some of you know this well, chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For whoever sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We like to sow our wild oats and hope we get a wheat crop. He goes on, and let us not grow weary. So he's saying this is, what, this is sowing to reap. 
Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In other words, stay at it. Continue to sow these things. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So reaping and sowing are, are laws. So be very careful what you plant now because it will determine what you reap later. If you sow honesty, you will reap trust. If you sow goodness, you will reap friends. If you sow humility, listen, this is what the Bible tells. If you sow humility, you will reap greatness. If you sow perseverance, this is interesting, you will reap contentment. If you sow consideration, you will reap perspective. If you sow hard work, you will reap success. If you sow forgiveness, you will reap reconciliation. All these are right and true. They're laws of life. But this parable, there's only one thing that's being sown. It's the word of God. That's what the parable is about. And as I said, I said many times in praying just for our Bible studies, Romans chapter 10, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has responded to it? Who has said, yes, I agree. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So note how Jesus begins this whole Instruction in the parable. One word, listen. Listen. That's how he starts it. But then, after telling the parable in verse 9, he said to them, he who has ears, you've listened, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's more than just hearing words. It's taking what's being said into our hearts. Thirteen times, in this chapter, all in teaching parables, Jesus says, uses the word hear. So in Mark 4, 23, not this morning, we'll get this next week. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. In, again, Mark, the end of the chapter, verse 33. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who is able to hear, let him hear. So you have this listening and then hearing. And so he said to them, verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So there's this expositional constancy that, uh, that comes up in this verse. Where a figure is used to represent something, then it always prefigures the same. It's important because these parables can be easily confused. How many would say amen to that who studied the parables at all? Someone said, don't teach the parables until you've been teaching for at least 20 years. 
I've been teaching for 20 years, and I'll still tell you, there are many things in here that I wrestle with. Some are not explained, making our dependence on the Holy Spirit so much more important to hear. Now, as we, as we are trying to guess what these things mean, we need to understand there are some things we don't need to guess at all. Jesus told us exactly what he's talking about. So this parable is a key to understanding all the parables. So the seed represents the word of God. The sower represents the person who is speaking the word of God. The soil represents the heart to those who are hearing the word of God, hearing the word spoken. The birds represent Satan. If you go to Genesis 40, and you look at the chief butler and the baker and the candlestick maker, well, it's not that. The birds represent evil in the, vi- in the chief baker's uh, dream that he had that Joseph interprets. That, you know, the first thing was, oh, that's a great interpretation. So he said, I want to know what, you, what mine means. And the birds came and ate the bread out of the basket. And he said, in three days, you're going to be a basket case. <laughs> you're going to be done. So birds speak represent Satan, and they represent evil. Leaven, not in this parable, but leaven represents sin in the Bible. So some, again, are not explained. These are this morning. The specific details are not of central importance in a parable. There's one message. A good example of that is in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus said, he was, asked, who is my, he was asked, who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself, who is my neighbor? So Jesus gave that whole parable about the, the man who went down and was found among, th- among, fell among thieves, was beaten and robbed, and the, th- and the priest comes by, and these guys come by, and his whole point in that is not the priest, it's not the guy, it's the, the whole idea, who is my neighbor? One, one point in the parable. In this one, it's hearing the word of God. How are we hearing the word of God? Now, a, a parable also is different from an allegory. An allegory, most every detail has some spiritual symbolism. A great, <laughs> the Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory, a fantastic allegory that you can read of the Christian life. The parable of the soils is also found in Matthew 13 that we're looking at this morning, Matthew 13 and in Luke chapter 8, which what I want to do this morning in looking through this, this whole thing is when those add some further nuances, some more, further detail, I want to put those up that go along with our study here in Mark. So Mark chapter 4, verse 2. I hope your Bibles just, you'll go along with me in the passage. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went to sow. So the seed is the word of God. The sower is the person speaking at. The soil is the hearts. And it happened as he sowed. So here we are. As he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Okay, that's the, the, the picture. In Luke chapter 8, he says, a sower went out to sow its, his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it, here it is, the, the little detail, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now in verse 15, our chapter this morning, he explains it. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, again, Matthew adds detail. 
when anyone hears the word by the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So he didn't understand it. In Luke chapter 8, a little more detail. Those by the wayside are those, the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Now notice, lest they should believe and be saved. So that seems to point to the fact that this parable is talking about those who are going to be saved. What is hearer number one? What's the lesson? Hearer number one is a hardened response to the word of God. Just hard. The result, Satan immediately takes away the word, there's no crop and there's no fruit. The reason, they hear the word and that's it. Goes in one ear and out the other. It's as though their heart condition is that these truths are for the birds. There's no, it just does nothing. They blow it off. And Satan is happy to immediately come and take it. Now, sin is the root cause for all hardness of heart. But there are things that get in the way of people hearing what's being said and caring about it at all. One would be familiarity. I've heard that so many times before. Just hardens the heart. Indifference hardens the heart. Been there, done that. Prejudices, biases, preconceived ideas harden the heart. I think of that as, yeah, right. Now, here's one that I think is important, and that is hurts. It says it was trampled, that air, where the seed, it was trampled. And many a heart has been trampled in this world. Hardened because of hurts. It's like the ground has been trampled in their hearts so many times, they are done. And I think it's important that we're sensitive to that, to all of these, really. That there are times when the, we speak the word and, you, and they hear the word and there's no response whatsoever. And we also need to be aware that there is an enemy that we face that is very happy to rob it the minute it gets there. And so we need to be vigilant in understanding that and go at it again. One time may not do it. Two times may not do it. But know this, God is working through his word to bring people to salvation through the gospel. And many times it's not hearing it once. It's hearing it twice or three times. And we need to be sensitive. We have an adversary. Last, yesterday we talked all about this battle that we're in spiritually. We have an adversary who is opposed to anything that has any, that has any bearing on someone's salvation. And the word goes out, and it's like, bam, it's made absolutely no impact whatsoever for many different reasons. And we have this second response in verse 5. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately, this is an important word in this one, immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Now, it's interesting. In, verse, in, in Luke, he says, some fell on rock. So he, it, you have a picture of, a, of ground where there's, it's just like very little soil at all. It's rocky. 
Now, Jesus explains this in verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately notice, receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time, only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises from the word, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. In Matthew chapter 13, same in Jesus, in Jesus explaining, he, he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. There's a little dip, detail. Endures only for a while. He endures. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. In Luke, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe, little detail, who believe for a while, in Matthew, who endure for a while, they believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. So here are number two. It's an emotional response to the word of God. With joy, ooh, cool. Immediately believe in. But it says there, the result is they immediately stumble. No crop, no fruit. This emotional response to the word of God. What's the reason? They hear the word of God and are moved by it. They hear the word of God and it sounds great until it gets difficult. Until life smacks them in the face, even though they are a, a believing these things. And they, I think of the, it's like, this isn't what I signed up for. And that's the damage that's done through a feel-good gospel. Through eliminating these needed things of guilt before God of sin and what it's caused, of hell being real. Oh, I'm just going to make you tickle your ears. And Paul, and Paul warned against that. No, the last days is going to be these, that, that their ears, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. He says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... They have itching ears, and they'll turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. See, you, Paul said, you preach the word and keep preaching the word. Because people, that's just human nature, that's the fallen nature. Immediately they stumble. Why? Because it's not what they thought it was going to be. All rosy and nice. And how many here as believers for any length of time would say, uh, yeah. Being a Christian in a fallen world with a Satan and his cronies and our flesh is not many times this whole thing of, whew. It's a path that necessitates working through difficulties. But the end of those labors is the freedom that God promised us by the Holy Spirit in knowing him. And being set free. You shall know what? The truth. And the truth shall set you free. Complete surrender to Jesus Christ in everything is the freedom that we long for. Being a slave of Christ. In other words, there's no such thing as instant growth. 
The only thing that grows rapidly and repeatedly out of the ground are weeds. Put the nicest lawn you want in there, I'm telling you, the weeds will come. Feelings can certainly respond to the word of God. And that's right. That's how we're created. But feelings will not root the word of God. They won't do it. The banner over our culture reads thus, if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't, then quit. If it doesn't feel good, be done with it. You see, the lack of commitment always results in a lack of character, root, depth. Easy come, easy go. When trials and persecutions bear down on you, bare emotions will not do it. Guaranteed, in many of these things, you won't feel like doing it. What's right? You won't feel like obedience to God. Difficulties, temptations, oppositions all require a depth that comes through perseverance. Not just a little while, continuing. Trials, as a believer, require a willing depth of faith to learn in it and to learn through it and to glorify God in the end. Love requires a willing depth of sacrifice. It's committed to someone, committed to that relationship. It's not easy come, easy go. Third response, some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and it choked it and it yielded no crop. It says in verse, then he explains that in verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So it becomes unfruitful. Potential was there. Looked like it's going to happen. In Luke chapter 8, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And notice, and bring no fruit to maturity. They become unfruitful, or it, it was there, but it never was brought to maturity. Here, number three, is a divided response to the word of God. The result becomes unfruitful or brings no fruit to maturity. In other words, there's competition that's going on. There's the invasion of other things that begin to choke it. Why? The reason. They hear the word and are motivated by it. But other things choke out, strangle those motivations, those intentions. You see, the natural bent of the flesh is to strangle potential spiritual growth. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things you want to do. Paul talked about that same wrestling. Thus, as I look at this, I think that applies to the one who has already believed, who is being saved. 
This is a truth for us to take to heart. The cares, riches, and desires are never brought into submission to the spirit of God. And thus they encroach into those things. I look at Samson. Should have, could have, but didn't. Called by God. Used by God. But he never dealt with the things of his flesh. I think of Balaam, that prophet, that weird prophet. I think of the rich young ruler. The riches of his life he couldn't give up. The cares of this world, Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and all the, and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the, its own things. Amen. <laughs> seek the kingdom. That motivation, that intention to keep our eyes on the kingdom. So important. Deceitfulness of riches, the rich young ruler. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, it says, were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, when we have riches, it's very difficult not to trust in them. And they can begin to choke the words, strangle the word. Our trust in God. It says the desire for other things, which is an all-inclusive statement. The things of the world and the flesh are never pulled up and uprooted. The flesh, with all its affections and lust, is never put to death. Instead, these things are allowed to continue. And they choke any potential fruitfulness. They strangle it. As a believer, and you as a believer, we know that this is exactly what happens. There are things in our life that the Holy Spirit is dealing with. He's trying to root out and weed out. And we need to yield ourselves in honesty and confession and say, Lord, take it. Do whatever you need to. Dig it up. Dig it out. And there are things that have been with us all our lives because of one reason or another that we see surface again as we're walking through. We might be walking along for 40 years, and here comes that thing again. There it is. And God said, I want to remove it. I want to uproot it. And thus, the, the, this, in a sense, the, the digging of the Holy Spirit is, is a little painful. And you say, I, I, wish, I thought I was done with that one. God is faithful. Are you not thankful for the faithfulness of God? Because there are these besetting sins, these areas that we wrestle with. Now, Paul the apostle said that God gave him a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest being lifted up, exalted, he should be lifted up in pride. And so Paul recognized sometimes God allows some of these things to keep us in a place where he keep, we can use us. But I'll tell you what, like but Paul, finally Paul came to the point, three times, would you take it, would you take it? Lord, could I be over that insecurity? Could I be over this, that, and the other thing? And God allows it to stay there. And Paul came to the point where he realized his grace is sufficient. And in some of these areas for you today, some of these difficult, 
God is working to bring you to that place where you realize that when you are weak, he is strong. When that thing rattles your cage again, God is working to let you out of it where you find the grace of God is sufficient. And so, when, so he says, I glory in tribulations. I glory in infirmities because when I'm weak, he's strong. Wow, what a freedom is that for us. And so allowing, not allowing these things to continue. So this whole area in our hearts, may the Lord help us to let him dig. Let him do what he needs to do in cultivating and helping us. Break up the fallow ground in your heart. That's what Jeremiah said. For if you, were, if you will return, O Israel, says Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abomination out of my sight, then you shall, you shall not be moved, and you shall swear the Lord lives in truth and judgment and righteousness. For thus says the Lord, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. So I say break up the fallow ground. Then I put here, fertilize your heart with a spiritual mindset. What are you thinking about? What are you sowing? Paul in Romans says, for those who live according to flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What are you thinking about? What are you sowing, if you will? What are you fertilizing the truth with? He says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Wow. <laughs> I'll take that. Because the, mind, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's going to fight it all the way along. And then Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves, moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust. I say, hey, have our, have our hearts looking to heaven in all that we're doing, cultivating that in our hearts. And here's the, <laughs> another thing. James says, be patient. Like the farmer, be patient. That's a tough one, amen. Final one, verse 8, chapter 4. And the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. I'm all in for that one. Verse 20 explains it. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. In Matthew, we read, Explaining it. He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Remember the first one didn't understand it and understands it. But doesn't end there. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Luke gives us what it goes with this. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit. There it is with patience. That's when fruit comes. That's when there's, it produces a crop, is this soil. And so the hearer number four is an obedient response to the word of God. The results bears fruit, some 30, some 60. That's up to God. We water, but God, God's the one who's the wonderful gardener. He's the one that's going to be doing what he can. I do believe that there's potential for 100-fold in the 30 and 60 also. 
some 30, some 60. So it's, a, it's a, this whole idea, hey, I want to be 100% fruitful with who God's made me and what he's put in my life. But some 30, I'll, 30, 60, God knows, and he's the one who causes the increase. Now, what's the reason? It's very simple. They hear, hear the word of God and accept it. You know, I, however many years ago it was, I began going to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, started hearing the word of God, and today I am so thankful for that heritage. Hearing the word, hearing it and hearing it for years now. And this is what happens, I say, load them up. Keep it on. Because the more, more the word, the more potential for a hundredfold in hearing it. And so the result is bearing fruit. But the reason they hear the word and accept it, they hear the word and are committed to keeping it. And thus, give me it again, give me it again, give me it again, remind me again, remind me again, exhort me again, exhort me again, rebuke me again, rebuke me again. Let the word rain on Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Let the word rain down into my heart and bring forth fruit. And so this noble and good heart, they hear the word and they keep it and bear fruit with a noble heart. In other words, there's honesty to it. There's a receptivity to it. Can I have the worship team come up and we'll close together? Again, Hearing the word, committed to keeping it. What have you heard this morning? What have I heard this morning as I'm reading this and getting out of it the things that the Holy Spirit wants? The thing is we want to leave here having heard the word and then with the motivation to keep it, with the heart to keep it, to say, Lord, you help me. You know, dig down, whatever it is. So the first response is a hard, hardened response. I don't want that. The second is an emotional response. I'm, I love the emotions, but I know they're not going to take me to the depth needed to root it, truth. The divided response, Lord, you got to help me. Cares this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. I see those things. Lord, shine the light, sun it out, dig it out, so that I am walking with you with a noble heart. Keep me with a noble heart. And Lord, here's the final thing is, tell it gets ready here. Lord, would you help me to be patient? Would you help me to keep on keeping on? Be patient in growing and be perfect in perseverance in my patience with you. Would you stand together? Let's, let's worship the Lord in song and I'll close this.